Hey y'all, I'm Anna Segura. And I'm Kendall Barger. And you're listening to Intuitive Adulting. Our mission is to equip you with the intuitive tools you need to explore things like your inner child, higher purpose, and spirituality, while also navigating adulty things like your annoying boss, grocery lists, and dirty laundry. Your life doesn't have to be filled with I should or I have to. Fill it up with I dream and I want to, and then make it happen with intuitive adulting. Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to the Intuitive Adulting Podcast. We are back with type Enneagram Type 7 this week, and our three tarot cards for the week are the Fool, the Chariot, and the Hermit. But first, we're going to share some Intuitive Adulting in the Wild stories. So, Anna, why don't you start us off? Sure. So, if you've been with us for a while, you know that My husband and I spent the summer in Florida, which was awesome, but we got back about two weeks ago and we're back in North Carolina now and we found a very big problem in our house that forced us to like hire people to fix things and go in crawl spaces and it was gross. And this is why like homeownership sounds really amazing and then you actually own the home and you're like, why the hell do I do this? Aside from like building equity and all the adulting things. But in, in practicality, it sucks. <laughs> so we had a very, very large list of projects that we needed to do before we're able to sell this house. And we're talking about potentially moving down to Florida. So we need to get the house ready to be sold. And that meant finishing up two bathroom renovations and putting gutters on the house and p- repainting two rooms. So it was just a lot of projects and We got home about two weeks ago, found this problem, started making the list of all the things, like talking it through, and I realized that I was so freaking overwhelmed. I mean, I can't even explain to you how enormous it felt. The whole whole thing was just making my brain hurt. And so I shut down for like three days. (laughs) I basically did nothing and fell into, if you you know me, you know my my weakness is reading. So I fell into a Kindle dark hole and was just like on my phone constantly doing all the bad things. Now, I've done a lot of the work. So I recognized the symptoms and I gave myself at the time it was day two. I was like, all right, you get 24 more hours (laughs) to sit in this and then we're changing this. What I needed was a way to get all of the chaos in my head out onto paper And I'm a very tactile person. Like I want to see and feel and touch everything. So first we made like an Excel spreadsheet that had all of our projects, prioritization, who was going to own the projects, me or my husband. And I was like, okay, this is great. And I closed the Excel sheet and then spent another day and a half (laughs) stressing because I was like, well, the Excel sheet didn't make any of the work get done. So over the weekend, I took a big poster board that I had lying around and some sticky notes and color coded it so that we each have like what we're doing right now, what we're doing in December and what we have to come in 2021 and just laid out all of our projects. And it sounds so simple. It sounds like something that anyone would like advise you to be like, oh yeah, why don't you just like use some sticky notes or like, why don't you just make a list? And then it's like, you can just tackle the list. And in theory, I understand that. 
in practice, I didn't expect how much of a difference it was going to make on my actual experience. I feel so much more in control and have made so much more progress in the last week than I did in the first week of just like, oh my God, we have so much going on. We have like a billion people coming in the house to give us quotes and all the things. And yes, we have the financial stuff to take care of it. So thankfully that wasn't a stressor, but like I underestimated how much power exists in a single sticky note. So. <laughs> Yeah, now we're we're back on track and it feels so much better. There's still a lot to do. There's still a lot of adulting left to take care of, but feeling better. <laughs> yeah, I think making a list or feeling overwhelmed by a shit ton of things that you have to do feels like another thing. There's so much stuff to do, so it's going to take so much effort to like organize that into a list of action items or a calendar or whatever but usually especially if you've been practicing your organizational skills or you have some kind of structure in place it usually actually doesn't end up taking that long to make a to-do list or a calendar or you know a list of action items and then you get to start like even if you just do one thing and you can make your list as detailed as you want. I will put take a shower on my daily to-do list. It was probably going to happen anyways, but now I I know for sure there are going to be things that I get to check off and checking one thing off gets you started. Like there's this was not my saying. It was from this certified professional organizer that I've become obsessed with on TikTok. She is the most relaxing voice ever. But she talks about that of like, if you're feeling stuck, doing one thing is literally the definition of getting yourself unstuck because you're moving forward. You've done one thing and you might still feel stuck. You might still have a mountain to climb, but you've taken that first step forward. So you can take another step forward and another step forward. And for me, it's been really helpful to make my steps really, really small. <laughs> so that I actually do them. Oh my goodness, yes. And I've been thinking a lot about motivation recently. I have a client who is like, I feel like there's phases that like most of my clients kind of walk through as they enter into a coaching arrangement. And like the first one is just like foundational, getting my shit together so that I'm not a like crazy person every day. And then the second phase is like, okay, but now how do I do more than just the everyday? So I've been thinking a lot about motivation. She and I have been talking about it a lot. One of the things that I came to was in order to find that motivation to do the important things, you also need to be really connected to your vision. So we made that to-do list, which in itself was something that I checked off my plan <laughs> because it's very satisfying to like check something off. So I put make the list of things to do. Um, and we do have them. Most of them are pretty small tasks. So it's not like renovate the bathroom it's like make a pinterest board about the tile you want to use in the shower <laughs> so that's very much a good suggestion but it's also like i got really clear about why we're doing all mm. of this so we're doing all of this because my vision is living near the beach and my vision is kind of a crazy 2021 plan that maybe someday we'll get into on the podcast as soon as it firms up a little bit more but basically i'm gonna need to be unloading a lot of stuff. My word for 2021 is unburdened. So like all of this now I'm like, every time I take a step forward, every time I take a sticky note off that board, it's about that little bit of progress toward the vision. It's not just like another thing that I have to do and it's drudgery. It's like, 
nope, one more step closer to the, the goal of living on the beach with significantly less stuff than we have in this house because it's absurd how much stuff we've accumulated. <laughs> so yeah. That's awesome. So what's your adulting in the wild story? Yes. Okay. My story is an opportunity and a permission slip for anyone else out there to release the awkward thing that happened. <laughs> because if you're like me, you'll do something awkward all the time. And then it's one of those things, actually, <laughs> spend the next week. Yes, actually, one it. of the books that we talked about in the previous episode, the author of the adulting book, the 468 easy-ish steps to being adult, Kelly Williams Brown. She calls it the shame boomerang. So it's like something happens, you feel shame about it, whether it was actually a big deal or not. And then it comes back, like you might forget about it, but then it comes back to hit you and you feel more shame about the thing. So the thing that I did was it's really not a big deal at all, which is why it's kind of easy to release. But then we get to talk about this is I went to the bank adulting and I was walking into the bank (laughs) I'm like laughing. (laughs) Okay, so I'm walking into the bank and a man is there and he opens up the door for me. How kind, right? So we have a very standard interaction of, you know, I go, oh, thank you so much. And he says, oh, no problem. So I'm like now kind of, I've like crossed the threshold of the door. I know he's starting to walk away. I hear him ask, how are you doing today? Or something like that. Or how are you? So I In my brain, I panic and I'm like, oh crap, he was still talking to me. Like, and so I like turn around and I'm like, say to the ghost of the man that was there, I was like, oh, I'm good. How are you? And then I kept walking into the bank and I like literally face palmed and I was like, he was on the phone. He's talking to someone on the phone. (laughs) He's not talking to you. Your interaction with him was done once he opened the door and you walked into the bank. (laughs) And. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> people pleasing at its finest. So, I clearly, I think it's funny. And I think it's because I have so many, like, actual awkward moments that I'm, like, really actually, like, crap. I really regret saying that or wish I'd said it different or whatever. That one I can clearly, like, easily laugh about. But I brought it to the podcast today as an invitation to anyone else out there that if you have some shame boomerangs out there... Like, you could, like, literally take something that you you pretend is a shame boomerang, like a piece of paper or, like, an empty cup and, like, smash it, like, get it, like, out of the cycle of boomeranging, tell it to a friend, DM it to us, like, consider our DMs open invitation if you need to just release a shame boomerang into the universe so it doesn't come back to you, because I can't tell you who else out there can't fall asleep because you're like oh my god that thing I said in middle school like I am a terrible person and it's like just if there was a lesson to learn if you did actually mess up or say something or offend someone take stock of what the lesson was and then move on (laughs) because it doesn't do you any good to live in that moment it's unhealthy for you it's unhealthy for your anxiety so this is your invitation if you have any shame boomerangs do what you need to do to release them (laughs) Well, and I think what you just said was one of the most important pieces of that, like learn the lesson and then move on. I think a lot of times those shame boomerangs, the reason they keep coming around is because we haven't fully integrated the lesson that is there. It's like your brain keeps handing you the lesson in like instant replay. (laughs) 
I don't know, whatever the football term is, they just keep playing it back to you over and over again because under you're not review. actually hearing what the universe <laughs> is trying. Yeah. But it's but it's a skill. It's a skill and a practice and an intention to set to like actually do something with them, especially if you're prone to people pleasing or perfectionism or you have anxiety like these can these those can be things that could potentially increase the number of shame boomerangs that you are dealing with or make it harder for you to release them so I'm definitely not here saying that this is an easy process but I think one thing that's really helpful is getting it out there because I think a lot of what makes it a shame boomerang is I I could never tell someone about this or like what would so-and-so today think of this thing that I did when I was a sophomore in high school. And even if it's literally just validating it to yourself, that's been a practice that's been really important to me over the last week is just validating myself to myself which for some of you might not seem might not be on your radar of things that you need to do but it's very much like I had an aha moment of I try and hide things from myself so even if you just need to validate that it happened to yourself by like writing yourself a letter then you can keep the letter you can burn the letter you can throw away the letter shred the letter like whatever if it's something that happened it happened and again it could be a funny story like my story or it could be something where you there's a lesson to learn and to integrate and sit with. Bring it to therapy. If you're in therapy, bring it to your therapist and create use that as a safe space to release your shame boomerangs. So I hope that this helps anyone out there with shame boomerangs. That ended on a heavier note. <laughs> and we've got a very much lighter note for our Enneagram talk today. So today we're talking about Enneagram 7. Yes, our incredible adventurers. Yes. So should I dive into our Enneagram 7s? Yeah. Okay. Tell us about okay. the seven. Okay, so 7s, so we're still in the head center. So types 5, 6, and 7 are in the head center. Type 7s, their goal There's a couple of ways to phrase it, of course, and lots of ways to interpret it, but their goal is about meeting their needs. It can be about feeling content, feeling like they have everything they need. That kind of came out sounding like type five, which is interesting because sevens are connected to five, but we'll get into that with one of the tarot cards. A big thing for sevens is they want to almost like feel in control of their emotions like a big deal for sevens and part of their their basic fear is sitting in negative emotions that can be a very stressful and very um like upheaving experience for a seven so their kind of motivation is to make sure that they feel like their needs are being met and that they're almost like enjoying their experience. Like they want their actions and what they're going through to please them, to make them feel content as a way to kind of like keep their like homeostatic balance, which kind of sounds like nine-ish, but um, comes from a different motivation. For sevens, a lot of that, especially as they sit in the head center with sevens, we're looking at a lot of anxiety potentially if they're feeling like, They're trying to like get ahead of things or trying to make sure that they don't enter that space of feeling like they're discontented or their needs aren't being met. So sevens, when they are in rest, they will move to type five and we'll be talking about that a lot today. And sevens, when they are in stress, they move to type one. What would you like to add, Anna, about our type sevens? So I have a type seven in my life who is like 
the meme worthy type seven, or at least she was like all through her twenties. She's kind of shifted now that she's a mom, but if she's listening to this, she will probably laugh and agree. But like, she never lived anywhere for more than six months at a time. She would like have a steady job in a steady housing situation. And then someone would say, Hey, it's really cool to like be in Africa this time of year. And she would like buy a plane ticket, <laughs> like go to Africa. <laughs> that was her experience. So that's kind of classic seven behavior and, and what a lot of people associate with sevens. But what's really interesting is to see her shift and grow. So she's now a mom of two, two beautiful little babies. And she's very much like settled and has deep roots here in Charlotte. And her seven-ishness still shows up though. It's just not as meme-worthy yeah. anymore. So she still has this desire to like focus on the happy, focus on the good, but also contends with all of that anxiety that a seven hides from a lot of the world. So it's just really interesting to observe a seven and observe how they shift during their phases of life. What I'm trying to say is not every seven is going to be up for a road trip at the drop of a hat. And just because someone is up for a road trip at the drop of a hat doesn't mean they're a seven. Yeah. And we'll, we'll definitely, I don't want to go too deep right now because I know a lot of this will come up with the tarot cards that we've picked for our sevens. But this pursuit of joy, this pursuit of not wanting to sit in the negativity or the bad emotions can sometimes manifest in people who are sevens being very adventurous. That's why Anna called them the adventurers, can have them kind of shifting interests, you know, like a ping pong, just really quickly bouncing from thing to thing to thing to thing. They might try a lot of hobbies, but not like necessarily stick with one. They definitely can be known because it's part of kind of their archetype for being adventure seeking because that gets them experiencing something new which keeps them in that phase of interest and creativity and something new especially if they're trying to avoid something so that's something that we're definitely going to unpack today as we look at our tarot cards well let's start with the fool because i feel like the fool will clarify a lot of seven energy because when we started this project the very first card of the tarot or well it's the zero card so first or last is the fool and it was the easiest one to type <laughs> it's like the fool oh yeah seven okay let's move on <laughs> yeah and also if you this is kind of going into a little bit behind the scenes of how this project came together we did and i think i've maybe brought this up in a couple of previous episodes but we did kind of like an initial typing of the cards and i think that first type session that we did with the cards we very much and a whole lot of wine yes <laughs> we very much saw like the energy of the card and immediately matched it to the energy of the type which i don't think was inherently wrong or bad but then we like a few weeks later when we were really starting to put this together into a podcast we were like you know we should come back and like check in and see if we still agree with the types that we assigned to the cards and i think in that second typing matching that we did we really shifted more from what does this card immediately make us think of to which type needs to hear this card, which type needs to hear the lessons from this card. And the reason I brought that up was we didn't change the fool. The fool was a very easy, um, <laughs> no, this is going to be for our sevens. But I think that's why it's actually a very interesting and dynamic card because it's one of these cards that 
on the surface is very easy to associate with seven energy. But in addition to that, it offers lessons for the type that we've matched it with. Whereas there were other cards that kind of only hit one of those boxes where it showed up as the energy of a type, but we didn't actually think that type needed to hear it. Like for example, the sun card, we were like, oh, very seven energy, but we didn't think the sevens actually needed to hear that sun card, which is why we gave it, I think, to type ones. Well, and when we get deeper into the three cards we have today, one of the cards is the hermit. Oh, I cannot wait to talk about the hermit. I cannot <laughs> wait. I've been waiting for this card. <laughs> well, and when we originally typed, I think we made that a oh, yeah. five mm-hmm. because of course the hermit is the yes. type five. Because, of course, type fives kind of embody that, like, solitude. Hermit energy. And deep thinking and stuff. But, like, type fives don't need to hear that. (laughs) They don't need to hear, go sit in your room by yourself. A seven might. And we'll get to that. But I thought I would pepper that in for some backstory. And it's important because you might be a little confused at moments when you're like, wait a minute, the fool makes sense. The rest of these, what are you thinking? (laughs) So, yes, we know what we're doing. We swear. Kind of. Sort of. (laughs) Most of the time. (laughs) All right, so the Fool. The Fool is the zero card in the tarot. Essentially, and I think we've talked about this in previous episodes, the major arcana is also known as the Fool's Journey. And it's about the main character of the Fool moving through the hero's journey, which if you look it up online, it's a lot of fun to talk about the hero's journey. But the Fool is this representation of like innocence and beginnings. This jumping out into possibility, very much a free spirit, very much about leaps of faith and being willing to take a step before you're sure about the results. It's about like going out on your own and having faith in the universe. In the original Rider-Waite deck, there's lots and lots of symbolism, but it often shows like a companion that is white and represents that innocence. And the fool always only has like this tiny little knapsack. So like, eh, that's enough for me. Like, I don't need anything else. And that's very seven-ish. So that's all of the upright meaning. Now in reverse, it can represent a lot of the dark side that comes with the seven energy. So that is like holding back from the deeper, darker emotions, avoiding all of that by being either reckless or avoidant of those things that you need to process. Could be blatant risk-taking and not paying attention to the consequences of your actions. Like it's, it's that like kind of wild side of the sevens. And I think there's kind of two different aspects of the reverse that the seven should be aware of. There's the avoidance piece. And then there's also the thing that's holding you back. Like those are the two major pieces to the reverse fool. And I think when we're talking about, as this relates to Enneagram sevens, that holding back is about stepping into your unknown. So for, say, a six, stepping into the unknown might be, you know, taking a chance, taking a leap of faith, like going out on an adventure. But for a seven, the thing that you're avoiding stepping into is those deeper feelings and the uncertainty that can come with those feelings that aren't the just straight up joy, happiness, fulfillment stuff. Yeah. And I think tying this back to the concept of adulting too because in us making this podcast in me just being an adult and talking about adulting and adulthood with my friends something that I've always thought about and something that comes up is this sort of never-ending pursuit for this thing like 
this magical thing that we think is like being an adult and like having your shit together or having a perfect life or whatever that might be for you. Um, So I know like for me, there's been so many moments in my life where I was an adult. I was living an adult life. I was working. I was living on my own, doing stuff. But I kind of in my head tricked myself into thinking like, okay, like this doesn't really count because we haven't made this change yet. And a lot of that is avoidance. And so like, I'm not a type seven. I know that to be true. But you know, Anna, when you were talking about this kind of avoidant energy that comes with sevens, I resonate with that very deeply because I in the past like month I've really opened up to the the realization that I have a lot of avoidance tendencies especially in like emotional intimacy in my relationships and you know I'm working on that like we're good I'm in therapy we're, we're working on it but I think with sevens like I can really kind of relate to that struggle to really want to just sit in the here and now because that means validating what whatever it is, whether it's all the positives about it and all of the things that might be making you feel uncomfortable or unsafe as a seven, sitting in that and not looking for an escape or not looking for an immediate change or not trying to make a shift so that you can kind of shift out of it. Like I think you might trick yourself into think that into thinking that that's the right move. Like, oh, I'm not happy here, so let me make this external change to fix it when it's really taking that plunge into how do I relate to people like what do I bring to a relationship what are some things what are some of my needs what are some of my emotional needs that might be really scary for a seven to dive into but that's where especially with people with avoidance tendencies speaking as one that's where you really grow and learn a lot about yourself and are able to kind of feel a little bit more grounded in the here and now instead of just looking to the next best thing. And it brings us to this beautiful question that I like to give you a journal prompt, thought prompt for each of these cards. The one that came with this card feels really resonating with, feels really resonant words. It resonates with. With what you just said. <laughs> it res- Yes, thank you. I don't know why words are hard today. So the question is, What would change if you believed that allowing yourself to experience something negative could actually open up more doors to joy and fulfillment? Like, What if sitting in the negative stuff, allowing yourself to experience it, allowing yourself to process it instead of shoving it down and having anxiety and having those boomerang (laughs) moments come back at you, what if instead you sat and processed it and then could move on to even bigger and better joy and fulfillment? Like, what if that was true? How would things change? I think that could lead us nicely to the next card. What do you think? Mm, The chariot. chariot. (laughs) So the chariot to me, this card feels very much like what I had envisioned for 2020. (laughs) Best laid plans, but you know, it is what it is. So the chariot in many of the ways that it's portrayed shows two different horses a light one and a dark one, and a charioteer. So I'm looking at my light seer's tarot. It has a light and a dark horse, and the charioteer has no reins. Like he doesn't have any control over those horses. And in my light seer tarot deck, it's similar. The the charioteer is basically rallying and corralling the horses without 
actual physical control over them. I just realized in my deck, which is the Everyday Witch Tarot, so every card, there's a cat somewhere, but I had never really, like, studied the chariot card. The cat is, like, so she's riding, her chariot is a motorcycle, so she's riding a motorcycle, and the cat's in the sidecar with a little tiny helmet and scarf. Oh, <laughs> I had never actually, like, noticed it before, but it looks really cute and funny, and the cat, oh, and the cat has goggles on. <laughs> <laughs> okay that's not the point but it was funny I love, no but i love how creative people can get with these tarot cards it's so cute so yeah the chariot really represents this ability to exert your willpower over your resources and over your mind over your spirit over your physical presence so that you can achieve your goals so that you can continue to move the chariot forward so it has a lot to do with being determined, having that really deep inner power, and being willing to be courageous in a lot of your experiences and being willing to kind of be a bit audacious. It's something that I think a lot of our sevens have an inclination for. Like they can they can definitely tap into that like wild action. The challenge is the chariot also has to be a bit refined. There has to be discipline in that because without that, you can't rally the spiritual and the practical. Like it's too easy if you're not kind of self-aware to let one of those lead over the other. And if you've ever driven horses, which probably most of America hasn't, but if you ever have, you have to have the horses going at the same pace. That discipline to rally your resources is really critical. In reverse, it's all about the lack of. So the lack of either direction or the lack of discipline, essentially the whole show going off the rails. This is something that a lot of sevens might experience if they are getting a little stale in their energy and allowing kind of the low side of a five to come in, which looks like dropping their projects or commitments, flaking on their friends, all of that stuff where like you're not bringing your resources together for your vision. Definitely great to lean into the higher five energy in that and look for how you can create the strategies, not just the like rigorous discipline that might be tempting for like if you are sitting in a like your stress line, which is your low one energy. So instead of like beating yourself up inside about what you're not doing or just flaking on your responsibilities at all. What are the things that you can do to step into more organization, more control or command yeah. direction? Yeah. What was coming up for me when you talked about earlier with the upright meaning of the chariot and how it's about like being in control of resources, which is very interesting because that will lead into the hermit card very much with type five energy um, connecting to seven. But anyways, what came up for me was, especially in this context of the chariot where it's like the like black and white horse, they represent it with like these kind of two like this way or that way, like signs. And so like the chariot a lot of times is about like making a decision or, you know, taking that next step along a path. What came up for me with sevens, like let me know how this lands is... So that idea of control and feeling like you have autonomy over your resources, you can tap into those resources, you are safe. I feel like sevens might 
be like, oh yeah, like I can, I can totally do that because I can, I can make this change. I can try something new. I can, you know, I can take on a new project. I can say yes to things really easily. But with the chariot, just like how there's like the light horse or the light path and then the dark horse and the dark path, it's like that inner knowing that you have that, you have access to that same level of autonomy and safety and control if you're in a space that maybe doesn't feel good. Because I think for sevens, if you're in that space that doesn't feel good, your automatic instinct is to want to escape or get out of it or that you're not safe, your needs are not being met. Now, like that might be true. You might be in a situation where something is off or you need to make a change or you need to set a boundary with a relationship or you need to work on something with yourself. But knowing that you have the resources within you to do that and be in that, to go down that path, to be in that space of the the deep end of your emotions, that you're still on your chariot. You're not just there by yourself with no help, no resources, you know, nothing to guide you. You're still on your chariot. You can still make choices for the good of you, not choices just to escape. Did that make sense? Yes. One of the things that Sarah Jane Case points out in Honest Enneagram is this concept of reverse deadlines, where you require yourself to stick with something for a particular period of time so that you can't flake out, you can't back out of the commitment until you've seen it through, at least through the period of discomfort. So the question that I love to think about with the chariot is, what would it look like to take your big, adventurous, overflowing energy and channel it into walking the whole path of your intention instead of just the first five steps that were easy and then the sixth step gets hard and uncomfortable and you walk away what would it look like to walk all the way to step 10 yes i love that very much because i'm i'm just i'm thinking about this tendency of sevens to once things start to feel uncomfortable or hard wanting to dip out i mean i am all for you getting yourself out of an unhealthy situation and you know something that's not serving you but if that's always your instinct is to immediately change course then you don't actually ever learn if it's not serving you if it's not healthy or if it's forcing you or encouraging you to grow you know what i mean like the more that you stay on that path if something feels uncomfortable or if something is bringing up some, you know, if if it's bringing up something for you or if you're learning more about yourself, that actually might be a really important life experience and a path you're meant to stay on as opposed to, oh, this is immediately uncomfortable. Okay, I need to, to change and do something else. And I think for a seven, it's going to be, I think this is going to be important for anyone, but I think especially for a seven who has the tendency to want to just immediately try something new to be able to discern for themselves, again, having trust in themselves and their own power and their own strength when things get hard to make a decision to stay or go that's actually anchored in their emotional needs and their their longevity thinking long term rather than just, I'm not happy now, so let's make a change. Well, and it leads really well into like what is required to do that. If you're in a place where your normal gut reaction is, as soon as this gets uncomfortable, I'm bailing. If that's like your normal reaction as a seven, it's like, oh, look, negativity, we're walking away. Then what might be really helpful and really nourishing and really healing is stepping into some of the hermit energy. Yes, the hermit card. So it's one of my favorites. I think it is my favorite card. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, not my favorite card, but close. It, it's sentimental to me because it reminds me of my brother, who is a five. So the Hermit is classic five energy. So very introspective, very much focused on being solitary and listening to your inner guidance and this desire to kind of step away from the material so that you can do that deeper soul searching that is all beautiful and gross and lovely. In reverse, it can tiptoe into like that isolation and loneliness and withdrawal and just not allowing those deep connections. But for our sevens, this upright message is especially important because this is the space where when you are faced with the decisions that the chariot brought up, when you're walking down a path and you realize that there is a point where it starts to get uncomfortable, but you still want the thing at the end of the path, step into that hermit energy and like lean on that to do some of that introspection. Because again, like we talked about with the fool, there's so much value and so much joy to be found when you allow yourself to sit with the things that are uncomfortable. Like if you allow yourself to sit in that <laughs> the stressful place of like all the feels, there's a lot of growth that can happen there. And you might find that really amazing well of inner strength that you can pull from. So we know our sevens are so capable of accomplishing things and creating their dreams. I've seen it happen with the sevens in my life. When they want something really bad, they don't care what the obstacles are. They just like, go get it. Very much leaning into your eight wing there. The first step to doing that is acknowledging when you're stepping back from it just to self-protect. Allow yourself to be the hermit for a minute and sit with it. So for our sevens out there, the lessons today are pretty clear. You are the fool in all the best ways, <laughs> but you are that adventurous spirit that's got so much going for you, so much to look forward to on the hero's journey. You will face moments where you have to make a decision, moments where your beliefs are challenged, moments where your determination is challenged along that path. And in order to continue down the fool's journey, you need to be willing to sit with yourself, willing to quiet some of the noise of the external so that you can hear the internal. And that's when you get to round out the whole circle and come back to that beautiful full energy of continuing to move forward. So thank you again for joining us for this episode. We love, love, love our sevens out there. We're sending you so much <laughs> adventurous spirit for 2021. I know it's been a, 2020 has been a little limited on the adventure scale, but 2021 is gonna be beautiful and expansive. And we can't wait to hear how this lands for you. Next week, we're going to be talking about Enneagram 8. And the tarot cards for our Enneagram 8s are the Justice card and the Tower card, which is, they're big cards. So I'm excited to, to get into that. And there's a whole lot that's going to go down in episodes for type eight and type nine. So we'll see how that all works out. Teaser for next time. Let's just say somebody's having an identity crisis. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to Intuitive Adulting with Anna and Kendall. To hear new episodes, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice. If you're feeling extra saucy, leave us a review. 
For fun extras, more conversation, and to be a member of our Intuitive Adulting family, follow us on Instagram at intuitive.adulting. Catch you in the next episode.